Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. This is show number one. There were various phases of this business. It went from hobby site to lifestyle business. Now, mind you, I did not have a lifestyle business because I had no life. And then I got to the point where I hired my first employee and it became an actual business. And then the final phase was where I brought on a partner and this business is now in full rocket ship mode. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here with my other co-host, my lovely, amazing, beautiful, smart, and wow. awesome wife, Mrs. Carol Scott. You are like, what, what are you digging for there, honey? Do you want something later? No, I was told I was supposed to be nice to you on this show. Oh, oh that was, that's a really, really good idea, producers. Good call on that. Anyway, I'm having a really good day, honey. How's your day? I am doing well. What's going on in your life or our lives? Our life is ridiculously good right now. Don't mean to be all braggy, but I got to tell you, honey, in like 16 years that we've known each other... There have been few times that are just like this, where there are so, so many good things all going on at the same time. We're getting ready to sell the house. We're doing a big move to Florida. We're starting another business. We're starting this podcast. It's just, it's so much good stuff all at once. A little overwhelming, can't lie, but it's just, it's a lot of good transition and it's a really good time right now. I absolutely agree. And speaking of transition, we have a really great first episode today. We have a guy named Josh Dorkin. Many of you may know him, and he's someone who's going through a whole bunch of transitions in his life, both personally and professionally. For those of you who don't know Josh, Josh is the founder of BiggerPockets.com. BiggerPockets is the number one online investing resource for real estate investors and real estate investing. And Josh has grown BiggerPockets to a community of nearly 1.5 million people over the last 15 years. But when Josh first started, Bigger Pockets was basically just an idea in the back of his mind. He started like many business owners trying to figure out how to grow the business, how to scale the business, how to grow his community. And he's here today to tell us about all the struggles, all the trials, all the tribulations that he experienced while trying to grow Bigger Pockets into what it is today, a company that has over 30 employees, dozens of contractors. So I am really interested in digging into this show with him and, and learning about how Bigger Pockets started. And honestly, the, the story is a lot like how a lot of businesses start. So I think our listeners are going to take a whole lot away. So here are some of the specific things you're going to learn in this show. So Josh is going to tell us what actually sparked that idea in the first place for bigger pockets. And he's going to give some really solid tips for building an online community. So if you are out there building an online community, he's going to tell you exactly how it's done. And here's something to keep in mind. It doesn't by any stretch happen overnight. Now, he's also going to tell us how he took a big, gigantic step back from the company but that ultimately led to him growing it in ways he never knew were possible in the first place. All right. And one thing you're going to really love, make sure you stick around till the end because dude quotes Jay-Z. Yep. For real. Couldn't make this stuff up. So make sure you listen all the way through. You're going to love it. Okay. Well, before we jump into our episode with Josh, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Hey guys. 
over on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, they did a whole show about big three roadblocks for new investors. Not having enough time, not having enough deals, and not having enough money. Well, let me tell you, the people over at Rent to Retirement, they get it. That's why they offer full turnkey properties in markets where the numbers make sense. Rent to Retirement's properties, they're already renovated, they're leased, they manage them for you. They allow you to invest with confidence when you're out of state. So we're talking about markets like Birmingham, Memphis, Cincinnati. You can even choose from single family or multifamily investments. And get this, Rent to Retirement works with a network of lenders so they can help you with all types of financing, including private lending, self-directed IRA loans, and more. So look, there's no excuse not to get started when you have the right team and systems in place. Rent to Retirement will do that for you. Visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent, T-O, retirement.com. Or you can call them at this number. Are you ready? 307-421-4049. Thanks so much to today's sponsor. Now, without any further ado, let's bring on Joshua Dorkin, the founder of biggerpockets.com. Joshua Dorkin, welcome to the first ever Bigger Pockets business podcast. And I promise that'll be the last time I call you Joshua. I may call you Joshua once or twice. I can't. I hope you call me Joshua. Okay. Hey, Carol. It's good to see you, Josh. It is great to see you. I've not seen you in a while. Yeah, great to see you guys. So, Josh, this is not the first time you've been on that side of the microphone for a Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, but it's the first time in a while. So let's start with uh, what's new? What's going on with you? I want to jump into your backstory, but, but first I want to know what's going on today. Why haven't we seen you much behind that, that microphone in a while? Sure. Uh, so you guys haven't heard from me in a while or seen me in a while because I've stepped back from the business after 14 years. Uh, we had a, what we might call an event and I stepped away. November 17, we had gone through some pretty serious family stuff. Um, my daughter had a, had a routine surgery that resulted in lots of complications and required an emergency surgery afterwards. All in all, the, the chaos and I don't know, you know, being nine and going through all that is, is pretty horrifying. And, and so she developed something called a conversion disorder as a result. And it, it's kind of like a PTSD response. But in her case, that resulted in her being essentially paralyzed from the neck down. Hmm. And oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, starting end of November, and, and I, I think this might be the first time I'm actually publicly talking about what specifically happened here. but. You know, after the first surgery, I, you know, I, I went to surgery with my kid and, and things just weren't normal the next day. And so I never went back to work. And, you know, for the next months, my job was to care for my daughter. And she was just you know, nine, 60 pound kid. My wife couldn't carry her around and, and take care of her. I mean, she could, but like we had to physically move her around and do things. And so that really became my job of rehabbing her and, and being there and helping you know, my wife and, and being there for my family. So the reason I disappeared from public view was the, the first core value of bigger pockets, which is family above all else. And so I had to step away. You know, thank God, call it February, March, we started to see her begin recovering pretty okay. dramatically. Wow. Yeah. And two weeks before the end of school, she was actually physically walking into school. Wow. I mean, she had gone to school in a wheelchair and walker and all this stuff. But yeah. And then the last 
since then, that was about a year ago, we've been focused on continuing to rehab her, getting the family kind of, you know, back together, you know, really just trying to reacclimate everybody because I've got two other kids. But as a result of that, everything we went through, you know, I, I think any sane human being would reevaluate their priorities. Uh, it's just, yeah, what's, what's important to me? I, I want to talk all about that because there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, there's your family life, there's your business life. And I know the, the kind of stuff that went on in your family life. Looking back, I, I, I know I've seen pictures of her on Facebook recently and she's looking great. She's looking like she's getting healthy again. So there's certainly the bright side of she, she's recovering, which is fantastic. Um, but there was also a lot of some bright sides in the business and some changes in the business as well that affected you. And I want to get to that, but there are probably some people on this podcast right now that maybe didn't start with bigger pockets. They may be not familiar with what you've done and the business you've grown, at least not as familiar as some of us are. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to take a few minutes and, and step back and then kind of build to, to what specifically happened. Is that good with you? This is your show, man. I'm not going to hijack it. Excellent. So let's... All right, back to the show. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Joshua Dorkin, Josh Dorkin, who are you? Where'd you come from? And and why are you here with us today? Sure. I think I'm here because of my charming persona. Absolutely. uh, Without a question, Joshua Dorkin, that is why. No, I'm 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 here. Uh, I believe because I I created Bigger Pockets, um, and and uh, to those unfamiliar, Bigger Pockets is the greatest collection of real estate investors in the world. I, you know, I'll rewind and explain really what what that means. But about 14 years ago, I. I'd been floundering around. I was in the entertainment business. I was a failed actor. I failed a lot of things. I, I always, failing is good. If you fail, it means you're trying. You know, I went to college in St. Louis at Wash U, grew up in New York. Uh, parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, what, what did your parents do? Mom had a retail shop. She was in the fur business, dad electrical contractor. So I grew up watching these people and then aunts and uncles and everyone else was kind of doing their own thing as well. So you're all in that similar mindset. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't have to tell somebody to go be an entrepreneur if they grew up in it. I think it becomes almost innate. Um, so post-college, I became a stock trader, you know, burnt out pretty quickly on that, became an actor because uh, I always wanted to do that as a kid, ended up digging into that business and, and exploring every component of that business. I was in the casting side. I worked uh, in production and management at an agent, you know, like I worked on all, all sides of that business, mostly in crummy roles, but you know, at the very least I was exploring it and learning it because I wanted to know as much as I could. I, I, I think the idea of being the janitor is how you learn a business. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. Yep. So did that, Entertainment brought me out to California. In California, I decided I was going to quit that business because frankly, there's like this differential between California and New York in the entertainment business where New Yorkers will, you know, they'll tell you F you to your face. In New York, in in California, they'll smile to you. And as soon as you turn around, they'll stick a knife in your back. Now, before you you quit the business, I need to to mention, I'm going to do my absolute best. To dig up all all the... So Josh has a clip out there somewhere of him as an extra on Saturday Night Live with Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. 
And so it's I'm, out there. I'm going to try and dig that up and put that in the show notes. So everybody's so putting that in the show. Everybody check the show notes. I'm glad you only know about that clip. So you won't dig up the others. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in California. I, you know, I, I was in and out of the business, was looking for ways to, to make some money, knew that back in college, I was into real estate and went and got my real estate license. Didn't love it. Didn't love the sales side of the real estate business for lots of reasons but went through two different stints doing that. Just looking for some cash, I ended up getting a substitute teaching credential. And one day I, was, I happened to be dating this girl whose family was running a school. Her mom had started the school and uh, she had worked her way up, my, my girlfriend at the time. And they needed a substitute teacher. So she knew I had the credential, called, said, hey, you want to come in and work. And I did. Uh, The day I came in, the teacher that I was subbing for quit. And I was dating this girl. So I couldn't say no when she said, want a job? Wasn't exactly an option. But I just want to point out something that I think is fascinating, that the girlfriend of whom you speak happens to be your wife now, correct? She is my wife. Forward. And isn't it an interesting coincidence that her mom, did you say, started this school? It is. So Julie comes from an entrepreneurial background too. So that sounds like she was she she gets it, right? So I'm I am hopeful that we can get into later as we talk more how important that was in supporting this whole entrepreneurial journey. Oh, I mean it's it's insane. She put up with so much garbage, it's not even funny. So yeah, we'll talk about it. Now I'm a full-time teacher and one day my brother calls me up and he says, Hey Josh, you know, I I've been buying property and I think you should look at the numbers. And I was like, wow, you know, this, this looks great. Very exciting. I'd always again, been into real estate, but never had the nerve to do anything. So I got on a plane, flew to where he was in St. Louis and I started looking at property and, you know, was like, wow, these, these are really cheap properties. Cause they were. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to buy some. I've been saving money. So I picked up a couple of buildings and I was ready to get rich. I, I was excited and I was teaching and I had these properties, but, and, and got managers to help me out. And little by little problems started to pop up and I'm 2000 miles away. And the ability for me to deal with those problems from 2000 miles away was a serious challenge. And so I found myself in a position where I'm like, what do I do? You know, hey, some tenant just stole the copper out of a vacant unit. Now what do you do? Right. Well, so you go to the bookstore and the books don't really talk about that, right? You go online and well, at least I went online and I, I found there were a few communities that existed, but I felt that the business model of those communities was not to necessarily help me be successful, but was to put me into a funnel to buy some kind of expensive materials, courses, boot camps, and webinars and seminars, and all these things that were going to drain my pocket instead of actually helping me out. And so I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. Well, what am I left with? I don't really know any real estate investors other than my brother. He can't necessarily answer my questions. Every agent I talk to doesn't know anything because most agents don't know anything about real estate investing. So I'm in this position, like, what do I do? Back in college, I had started building websites for fun. Just, you know, the internet was beginning to blossom then. It was the very beginnings of, of the graphic web um, when I was a, a freshman in college in 94. And 
So I had some experience and I said, you know what, I'm going to just start to gather as much info as I can online about real estate investing to help me. Started to put together tools, resources. And then I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if I could create some kind of community. So I didn't really know how to program beyond really basic web programming in something called HTML. I was like, I, I might as well learn. I mean, I learn everything else I know. So I went and I found some software that I can build out to create a forum. So like an online community. Sure. And that was kind of the beginning. You know, that was the origin. You know, I had this cool domain name, Bigger Pockets, and you know, now I had to go and find people to help me answer my questions about real estate. And then I had to figure out how to attract people to stick around and, and thus began like the quandary, the dilemma of like, how do I build this business? And, awesome. and by the way, it wasn't designed to be a business. It was literally this hobby site on the side to help me stop failing as a real estate investor. So you had this need, you had this idea of building a community at a time when they're really, I'm trying to think back to then, and there really weren't that many online communities at the time, right? So where you said you went out and, and talked to other people, found other online resources. What do you, have, do you recall where you went, uh, how you went about gathering those people to be part of your community? So the resources were easy. I just Googled every, well, did I Google? I don't even know if I was Googling. I might've used like Metacrawler or Dogpile, but you know, I, I found those. That was easy. Getting people to come was the hard part. And I didn't, you know, there was no manual. There was no like, you know, today there's sites like Pat Flynn and all these entrepreneurial websites to teach you how to build community. Back then there were communities of people who built websites and a lot of them are still around. SitePoint, WebPro World. And so I would go to these communities, just learn what other people were doing. And I realized that they allowed you to create, it's called a forum signature. So at the bottom of all your discussion posts, you can create, call it a mini blurb, right? And so what I did was I wrote, you know, bigger pockets, real estate investing community, and I put a link. And I noticed, you know, by looking at my statistics, as I posted in these places and asked questions, people would show up to my site. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Well, what if I went to, they all had an, an area called off topic. So, you know, if you're nerding out on web design or if you're nerding out on something else in a community, typically there's an off topic where you could just ask your random, post your random questions, comments. So I would go to the off topics and I noticed that there were discussions about money and finance and, and randomly real estate. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I answer these questions, if these people will see my signature and then be enticed to then come and visit my community and participate there. And so I started to do that. So little by little that worked. Um, that in combination with maybe, you know, maybe there was kind of a fake user or 10 talking to each other in the very, very, very beginning, asking to answer their, their own questions. Eventually people that were not me. <laughs> I, think, I think something a lot of people don't realize, if you've never built a community or if you never really thought about communities, there's this thing called network effects. Yep. And network effects is basically until you have some level of critical mass, until you have enough people writing questions and answering questions, you don't get that organic growth. So if you walk into a community, there are five other people, you're not going to post anything because you don't expect a good answer. And if right. there's five other people, you're not going to answer a question because you're wasting your time. 
And so all communities are either going to get to that, that critical mass, that tipping point where they're self-sustaining, there are enough people to draw other people and they continue to grow or they don't get to that point and they shrink and they go away. And so it's real easy. And I've seen a lot of community developers over the years who will start a community. And if in three or five or 10 months, they don't have critical mass and they're not growing, they just give up. So can you take us through the growth of bigger pockets? Because I know it wasn't quick. Uh, it took forever. <laughs> it was a very long time. I think that first eyeball to the site, that first user that was came independent of me telling my mom and brother to show up and they laughed at me or, you know, and my friends who also laughed at me. My parents didn't really laugh at me. They just said, what the hell are you doing? You know, find a job. So I'd say the first user, the first time somebody posted on the forum, that was not me posting questions and, and was exciting. It's right? magical. We're like, yes. Right. Finally, we got this. Yeah. And then the first time somebody posted something and somebody else answered it other than me going and researching the answer and answering that question from somebody was also magical. But it took two to three years probably before we got to the point where I didn't have to be involved in every conversation for it to continue, maybe even more. I'd say, you know, again, I don't remember when we, hired, we, we got our first moderator, but you know, one of our earliest users, a guy named John Holdman, who is a moderator of the community today, 14 years later, awesome. um, he fell in love with what we were doing. And what we were doing was special because, and the reason people came was there was nothing else like it online or off. There was no place where you can go post questions, get answers and not have somebody sell you something. Right. If you went to, and to this day still, if you go to most communities, you have a question, Hey, you know, how does a, how does an arm loan work? Which is, you know, an adjustable rate mortgage loan. How does that work? What, what you're going to get is maybe one or two people answering. And then a lot of people saying, Hey, I could get you an arm loan. I could get you an arm loan. That's right. You know, in, in other real estate communities, that's just how it worked. So we established a set of rules that a lot of people really didn't like. It pissed people off because Nobody else was doing that before. And it angered people who thought they were entitled to do that anywhere they wanted to. And we said, no, you're not. This is how it works here and do that and you're gone. Now, everyone else was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I can go actually ask my questions and not be afraid that somebody's going to pitch or sell me. And there's no stupid questions. I can ask a question as, quote, dumb as possible and I'm not going to get made fun of. You know, so we took all these ideas that I had in my mind and said, hey, let's apply these, this rule set to what Bigger Pockets is. And it turned it into something really, really special. And over time, you know, this thing, we got to the network effect point. So, so your work, this is four or five years. And this is a really important point that I think we need to drive home. I, I, anybody that's on Facebook these days, anybody in the marketing community or the real estate community, we're constantly bombarded with the message that if you get up at 3 a.m., if you work hard for 20 hours a day, if you don't have your social life, you're going to be rich in six or 12 months. And maybe the gurus don't actually say those words, but that's basically the message that they're sending to us that if you work hard, you're going to get rich quick. And as you saw, that's, that's just BS. I mean, oh, we, totally have this, yes. we, we have this generation of budding entrepreneurs who are terrified of working their butts off for five or 10 years because they think if they haven't gotten rich in the first three or six months, they're doing something wrong. 
But that's not just their fault. I mean, like at the end of the day, and you said gurus, I mean, that's the venture capitalists. That's the angel investors. Absolutely. That's the tech media. That's the press. Everybody's pushing this idea that, you know, Facebook and Insta and all these things like, yeah, they grew from nothing to, you know, mega billion dollar companies. And if you create a business that, hey, you know what? I'm, if I go and create a business that makes a million bucks, or if I create a business that creates $100,000 for my family a year, I'm unsuccessful. That's what's happening today. And that's horrifying because I go into rooms with entrepreneurs and I see these people saying, well, I'm going to build a billion dollar business. And if they don't, they think of themselves as a failure. Those first two, three years, You are teaching as well as being so involved every second of every day when you weren't teaching um, on bigger pockets. Is that accurate? So, how many, so for those first two, three, four, five years, realistically, how many hours a week were you working? So, I quit my job teaching after two years. Okay. Two years after I started Bigger Pockets. When I quit after two years, I was not making money of even remote consequence. Right around then, I also got married. And my wife was you know, willing to put up with me making bupkis, really, um, and supporting was- us. And I always had saved my money. I never spent it on you know, dumb things. But to the other part of your question, I was working. I would get up in the morning. I'd start working. Then we'd leave. We'd go to work. Whenever I had a free period, I was working. Lunch break, I was working. And then when we would get back home, I was working. So I was probably putting in 40, 50-hour weeks concurrent with my 40-hour or so teaching job uh, on bigger pockets. And then after two years, you finally quit. And then once you quit your full-time job... yeah. Did you, let's see, did you cut back in your hours? I have a feeling the answer to that is a big resounding no. You probably, oh, not no, even I, I, it was, let's go and make this happen, right? Let's go make it happen. And, and mind you, I was probably in the first two years making, you know, a penny, a penny an hour maybe or less. And, you know, that did not drastically change immediately. I, I mean, it took a long time for, for that revenue, that income to, to grow for the platform. I, there were various phases of this business. It went from hobby site to lifestyle business, which was kind of when I quit my other job and now I had this lifestyle business. Now, mind you, I did not have a lifestyle business because I had no life. And then I got to the point where I hired my first employee and it became an actual business. And then the final phase was something that I know we will get to, which was you know November of last year where I brought on a partner and this business is now in full rocket ship mode. But um, I, I, I want to talk about the first hire a bunch. But before I do, I just want to uh, touch on something that I've always wondered. Um, I've been in part of Bigger Pockets. I've I've been part of the community for over a decade now, and something that has always stuck out. Thank you me. for that, by the way. Oh, thank you. So if I do my quick math. Basically, what I get to is you were in this business for about 10,000 hours before you were making enough money to even say, I'm, I can quit my job, maybe even longer before you were making the same amount of money. And you made the early decision to kind of put your personal values that we're not going to have gurus, we're not going to do selling on the sites, we're not going to sell out above your profit 
you made that decision. And it probably would have been, and I know later, like 2010, 2012, 2015, after bigger pockets really started to explode, it would have been really easy to, to sell out and just make quick money. But you never did that. So it, it never... It never crossed my mind to do it. Really? Um, at no point did it cross my mind. What, now, that's not to say that there was not a struggle. I think the struggle was, where is the line? So what's the black, what's the white, and where's the gray? Because, you know, we have to turn this into a viable business. So how do you make money without crossing any kind of line? Yep. And, and that was the struggle that, that I dealt with and we dealt with and, you know, the company will hopefully forever deal with. Is that line well-defined? You know, I, I'd say there's a fuzzy, there, there is definitively a fuzzy gray and my rule has always been stay the hell out of the fuzzy gray. I think there's a difference between values and pivoting on tactics and strategies. I believe that you establish your core values, who you are, what kind of business person you're going to be, what kind of business you want to run, and you stick to that. Uh, core values create culture. By the way, I thought all these words were bullshit five, six years ago. Like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it until we got to a point of scale where, you know, we've got 20, 30 people working at the, at the company, and all of a sudden, like, chaos and potentially uh, people who weren't good fits. We're, we're working at the business and I'm like, why? So that, those you, you cannot, I believe you can't shift from in terms of strategy tactics, like, Hey, you know, we tried this and it's not working. Okay. We're going to change. That's cool. Like, Hey, we're going to build out a book business, but it's floundering and failing. Well, you know, hit it from a couple other angles and give it your all. And by the way, Today, most people's all is like, I'm going to give it a week or two. And if it's not working, I'm going to quit or a month or six months. You know, I, I, I don't think people realize that you got to try. That's not trying. That's baloney. Most people who start a podcast quit after, you know, five or 10 shows. They have, you know, three listeners and they're done. But guess what? The 11th show is the one where you are actually going to be successful. You, you touched on something. You started talking about culture. You started talking about building teams. I want to jump ahead a little bit. And this is something that I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. I've struggled with it. I was there when you were dealing with it. So I know you struggled with it too. And that's making your first big hire. You started the business in 2004. I'm going to kind of do a spoiler here. You didn't make your first big hire till what? I think it was like 2000 or 12. Um, 12 or 13, yeah. 12 or 13. I was there. We were having discussions when you were talking about hiring Brandon. And you were talking about, oh, I have to carve out equity. I need to get somebody really vested in the company, somebody whose goals are aligned with my goals, aligned with the company's goals. And to do that, I have to do more than just pay a salary. I have to like give them equity. I have to give them stock. And I remember that was a struggle for you. So... Can you walk us through a little bit about how you decided it was time to make that hire, the struggle you went through to make that hire, and ultimately how it, how it led to, to where you are today with 30, 40 employees? So I, I would say 
the struggle was I, I, again, never started this with the intent of building a business, right? It was a hobby. And then the hobby became this lifestyle business. Now, I, I ended up needing contractors because I was a hack of a coder. And so I needed contractors to help me code by, call it year two-ish, year and a half-ish, two-ish. Hired a team of contractors. They, they sucked. I mean, it was terrible. I was going to oh, build them. When you say terrible, tell me how terrible. I mean, I paid like, I, I call it 15, 20 grand for uh, this outsource shop. I was living in LA to build out when we went from forum to build it into the quote, MySpace. You know, hey man, MySpace was hot. So I was trying to build the MySpace of, of real estate investing. And I blew 15, 20 grand on the development of this. And I got back a chunk of code that didn't work. It was garbage. Like, and I, and I had never worked with a team like that. I didn't know how to, you know, do milestones and make sure that things were working. I just waited till the end and got back a product that was broken sure. and my money was gone. And I was wow. like, okay. Wow. So, Not a good day. Not no, right. one of the many bad ones. Um, and you know, that was the day where probably 98% of people would have quit. Why didn't you quit? Because I, uh, you know, as Jay-Z said, I've got only one rule. I will not lose. I don't like losing. You know, I don't like having other people be the cause of my own failure. I can't let you dictate my success or my failure. I'm going to be the only one who's going to dictate my success or failure. So, okay, you know, put, put your big boy pants on and find another way to do it. Now, I had no money at that time, so I had to go back to zero, start building up you know, money to be able to do something. And, and I came in with another strategy, which was instead of building this massive MySpace-like thing, I'm going to take one tiny piece of it, hire somebody to build that tiny piece, and little by little, piecemeal by piecemeal, we're going to build it up. By the way, there's now a word for that. That's called Lean Startup. Yep. You know, I, I didn't know what Lean Startup was. The word didn't exist, but I, I had no other way to go about doing things. And what an amazing learning experience, right? I mean, that's what we all talk about as entrepreneurs. We take those things that can be seen as the big failures. And frankly, for whatever it's worth, Jay and I, we talk with our kids about this all the time around the dinner table. We're like, okay, what was your favorite part of your day? What was the best thing that happened today? And most importantly, we really hammer out and the teachers freak out about this. Like you say those words to your eight and nine-year-olds, we're like, yeah, we do. What did you fail at today? Yeah. They can't yeah. come up with anything like, well, you have to go out there and make a mistake and then tell us about it because oh, yeah. it helps you learn so much, right? And try new things and look at new ways of doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I know there was something else I was supposed to answer in there, but you know. I want to talk about Brandon. You hired Brandon. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember that took months because you were you were struggling. So to tell us a little bit about that. So I had experience with these contractors and so the hiring of Brandon came at a uh, very interesting point in the business. We you, you guys have asked a lot about this long journey. So there were a lot of days in those eight years where I was just miserable. I was like, why am I doing this? I mean, this is just stupid. You know, I'm not making any money. I had gone, I had met with VCs. I had gone, met with angel investors, you know, never like seriously, I'm going to go raise money, but like, Hey, is it possible? What can I do? What do you think about this business model? Blah, blah, blah. And throughout it, they're always like, you're crazy. Like, you know, this, this just is not a viable model for continued success. You know, maybe there's other ways to go make money. I was watching my friends 
who graduated from college with me, making very good livings, doing very well. And I'm 30 years old, 29, 30, 31, 32. And I'm, I'm really struggling. I mean, I'm not, I'm barely making any money. I'm barely, I mean, barely, you know, what's worse than a teacher's salary? Mine. And you know, yet I'm continuing through it because I, I see that I'm helping people. I know that in my, in my soul, I know that this thing's going to be successful. I just got to figure it out. And, and so um, I got to a point on year eight where I just, you know, my, I, I, I turned to Julie and I just started bawling. I mean, absolutely bawling. I was miserable. Every, I went seven and a half years without taking a day off. Now, by the way, this is not like, I'm not bragging about this. This is, this was stupid. Um, but I went seven and a half years. I didn't take a day off. When my kids were born, I brought my laptop and I worked. When I traveled to see my family, I took my laptop. I never had a vacation because I worked every single day for seven and a half years, which is very stupid, by the way. Don't ever do that if you're listening. Days off are very important. I felt trapped. So the reason I was bawling and crying to my wife was I was beyond burnt out. I was trapped. I could not escape my business. I became a prisoner to this business and I didn't know what to do. So I ended up hiring a consultant, a guy I knew in the industry, in real estate industry, who was just wicked smart guy. And I hired him and said, hey, look, look at this business. Tell me, you know, should I quit? Should I just shut it down? Um, should I sell it? Or should I move forward? And if so, how the hell do I do that? I, I never wanted to take on debt. I never borrowed money to start the business. I started the business with the $6 it cost me in hosting. That was it. And my, and my sweat equity. I mean, I invested $6 to build Amazing. You know, a company of huge magnitude. And that's all it took was just hard work. But so, so when he came, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, we looked at the business and broke it down, realized that, you know, I, I'd kind of gone off the rails and on certain parts of the business, you know, we had built what we call feature bloat, too many features that weren't very successful. And we didn't have the management to kind of handle them because I was the management. We were the management. I always use we when I talk to people about the business. Sure. We was me. That's how I looked big. And I had people who thought we were dozens of people and of it was me. But at year eight, and he said, you know, he's like, Josh, you can do any of the above, but I think given your model, I think this thing has legs. You're now making after year eight enough money where you can probably squeeze out somebody. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to eat some ramen noodles for a while. And so we went from, you know, we, we found Brandon and, and, I, I was very scared. I didn't, you know, after eight years doing it by myself, trusting somebody to come in was scary, but we kind of dated, you know, Brandon was writing for Bigger Pockets. He was an author on the platform. We became friends, chit chatted for a while. Then he became a contractor for a little while. And then he became an employee um, and he lived across the country. But, you know, he and I immediately, you know, began working, continuing to work a hundred hour weeks but it was like this exciting, exciting phase. He, he got paid very poorly, <laughs> making up for it now. <laughs> but he took a risk. He didn't need to work for me was, was the thing. So I got lucky. I found a guy who was a success story of my platform. Bigger Pockets allowed Brandon to become 
financially independent at the point at which I hired him. So he didn't need a job. He wanted the job. He loved bigger pockets. And so what better person to bring into your company than That's somebody who loves- you could ask for, right? Somebody who's so yeah. involved, somebody who has done, who has made so many connections on this site, somebody who has truly um, built his livelihood as a result of the hard work you put into your site is the best brand manager you could ever ask for to go out and sing to the masses, come to bigger pockets, come to bigger pockets, come to bigger pockets. I know but, a couple other people like that. Let me- point out that I think this is actually one of the reasons that Bigger Pockets has been so successful. The way you've fostered your relationship with your members. Uh, there's this mutual benefit between you, the owner, the site, everybody that's running the site, and the people that are contributing. And there are several members. Brandon's one. Uh, I'm certainly one. We've literally built our brand and our livelihood and our careers on the back of bigger pockets. And you don't, you don't often see that with other social networks. Sure, people can carve out a little name for themselves in forums or whatever, but literally there are, I can name a half dozen people on the site that have built their brands because of bigger pockets. And the mutual benefit between the company and its members, I believe is, is a large portion of its success. So I agree. And and you deserve full credit because you've been so giving with allowing your members to come in and you ask a lot from them and you give a lot back. And it's that synergy, that 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 symbiotic relationship between between you and, and the company and the members that has made both sides tremendously successful. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And by the way, you could think of half dozen, I could think of you know, dozens, and I'm sure there's thousands, you know, which Absolutely. is crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, before we transition to the next part of the show, I want to tell you about how you can avoid water damage with the help of Flow by Moen. If you own any kind of property, water damage is actually twice as likely as theft and fire damage combined. That's why the Flow by Moen system is so great. It helps detect small leaks that end up causing big, expensive problems. It's basically a whole home water monitoring and leak protection system in just one device. Flow by Moen detects if the water's been left running or if a pipe has burst. As someone who owns a number of rentals, I can tell you that water damage is the worst damage. The Flow by Moen system can even shut off the water to protect your property. And some insurance companies are giving discounts if you have a Flow by Moen device installed. So check it out. Because you're a Bigger Pockets listener, you get 15% off of Flow. Go to meetflow.com BP. That's meetflo.com forward slash BP and use code BP15 for 15% off. Again, go to meetflow.com slash BP and use code BP15. You brought Brandon on and it was, when you brought Brandon on, would you say that was one of those moments when the skies kind of opened up and you're like, ah, and there was light at the end of the tunnel or was, was it that higher or was it at another point where you're like, wow, I can really take this somewhere else and uh, maybe contribute a little bit differently and see where this thing can really go. So it was that higher. Brandon for me was, was that person. And, you know, I look at all the people I've met in my career, you guys included. And, and Jay, like you're, you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, you're like absolutely brilliant. And I have more respect for you than I think you'll ever know. And there are a lot of people like you out there that I know. If I did not hire Brandon, I don't know that bigger pockets would be what it is today. 100%. I, um, awesome. Major shout out, Brandon. 
Yeah, I mean, he is such a, well, he's such an amazing compliment to who I am, which is, I think, why it worked. You know, I, I only wish I had found him when I started, but I wasn't trying to build a business then. Yep. So the two of us would spend countless hours, like, you know, teenage kids on the phone, brainstorming, talking, being creative, and just chit-chatting about, you know, ideas forever and ever and ever. And which is why we are as successful as we are, because first we did that, then we would actually try the ideas. Half of them would fail. The next one would be successful. We push at it and then we do the next one and we keep going. And so he allowed for me to step back a little bit. You know, I went from a hundred hours a week, every single week to 90 hours a week. I mean, free time, like, like there's no tomorrow. Good for you. It, it, was, it was amazing. And, and really, I would say that's when the, the, you know, BP went from lifestyle business to, to a company, right? I would say the next hires, and there were a few of them, there was you know, Hillary and Allison and Scott and Rob. I really kind of lumped those guys in the next phase together. Nice. That began like this core, you know, small core of a company, but, you know, the willingness of people to take a risk on something like bigger pockets, the willingness for folks to take a risk and, and work for small companies, not just tech, but like any kind of small company is, is not to be understated. You know, my brother's been laid off, I think, four or five times from tech companies and he keeps going because it's exciting. It's fun. It's new, right? It, you get something out of the lack of stability at these companies. And some people like it and some people want big stable companies, but um, I'm, I'm very grateful to all those people who, who were willing to take those risks. But eventually, you know, I, I'd say Scott, Scott Trench, who's CEO of Bigger Pockets today, host of the Bigger Pockets Money Show, author of Set for Life and all around amazing guy. He, he brought something that Brandon didn't bring, which was get a goddamn life, Josh. You know, Brandon was, is, is like me willing to, you know, slave away countless hours for little reward, hoping for future reward. Scott, you know, really started, he's the guy who yelled at me to take a day off. <laughs> Scott would repeatedly say to me, this is your money, Josh. Why don't you take some money out of the company? You know, years later when we started to make real money, you know, and I said, no, it's the company's money. And we literally would argue and fight. And he'd say, dude, this is why you've worked for 12 years, 10 years to be successful. And I never, I needed somebody to actually explain that to me because I felt I was wronging the company by actually withdrawing money and not reinvesting every single penny back in the business. When Scott came along and you started hiring like the second wave of people to really start ramping things up even more to the next level, how are you feeling personally as, as the founder of this thing, relinquishing so much of that control to, like, I remember, for example, you know, back in the day when I had to go to, to a, a job that wasn't our own business. And when I had, when I, when I built out big teams, there were so many things that I missed about the day-to-day being in the business, but I realized that for my team to be successful and to grow our function, that I needed to work on leadership and development. But at the same time, 
I kind of was bummed that those guys got to do all the cool stuff. So how did your whole thought process work kind of emotionally when you were really, you know, you were so, you're so in it every day, every little aspect of it, and then giving some of that up? So that, it was definitely hard. I, I think the the real challenge came when, I, I don't know at, at the very moment that it happened, but we got to a point where I was managing, I think it was like 11 people or 12 people or 13 people or something. You know, I was the only one like, we need to put, we need to change this, you know, started learning, Hey, you can't manage 13, 15, whatever it was, people successfully and run the company. And, you know, right. so, so we went and we created this management layer and that was very hard for me. That was, that was way harder than handing off part of, you know, hey, um, cu- customer service to somebody or blog editing to somebody or the finances, you know, to somebody. That was, that was actually pretty hard, the finances. But handing that off and creating management was very, 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 very challenging. And I think we did our best at it. I think it took a while for us to get good at it, all of us. And I definitely struggled with it. Um, I would say after that, there was kind of yet another wave of, of, of hires where I think we slightly stepped away from our core. Hiring's a huge thing. I, I, I'll admit, I was, like a, I was an education snob for a while. And so I, I said, I'm never going to hire anybody who doesn't have you know, a great degree from a great school. And then I had to kind of shift that because that's hard to do. I found that some of my best hires have actually did not have a college degree when I hired them. Uh, we've had a few people who finished those degrees while working for us. All in all, what I've learned is people who are passionate about your business are going to be your best hires. And, and you know, I've gone, I've hired, you know, people from, from Ivy's who turned out to be terrible hires. You know, they were super smart, knew everything. And Yes, they were. They were actually very smart. And yes, they knew a lot. However, they didn't know how to work for us. They didn't care about I, who we were. I think in the, in the big company world, there are these things in the tech world. They, they have these employees. When, when companies get to 20 or 30 or 50,000 people, they start hiring these people. In the tech world, they're called evangelists. In the non-tech big company world, they're often called brand ambassadors. People whose job it is is to basically go around and be seen, wear the clothes of the company and do good things and kind of make the company look good on, on a grassroots level. And I see too many companies that they wait till they get to 30 or 50 or 70,000 people before they start really encouraging these, these employees to be brand ambassadors, ambassadors or evangelists. But Bigger Pockets is filled, I mean, 30 or 40 people right now, and it's filled with 30 or 40 people who are the company's evangelist, the company's brand ambassador. Everybody in that company is excited to be there. When you see them at conferences, when you you see them at seminars, when you talk to them on webinars or whatever, everybody's excited to be part of bigger pockets. And so when you say that you were just as focused on hiring people that were excited to be part of the company versus having the education, it seems to me that that's even more important. People can learn the job. People can learn the technology. People can learn the business. You can't learn enthusiasm. You can't exactly. learn love of company. 
I think that's part of why Bigger Pockets has been so successful is because you've hired the type of people that are going to make everybody else fall in love with the company. And that's part of the hiring process. You know, that comes through in the hiring process. My, my philosophy it ha- has always been, I want to hire people, l- like you said, I, I want everybody at my company to be the people who are at the conferences who are capable of leading sessions on the area of expertise that they're in. And I want to encourage them to do that because frankly, like a lot of people are afraid to, to get their people out there. A lot of people are afraid to, to train their people. You know, what I say is if I help train you, if I help make you successful, if I help build your personal brand within your own field of expertise, if you go and you decide you're going to leave bigger pockets, you're going to go and be successful. And you know what? You're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what? That was a great time in my life. That was a great company. And you're still going to recommend us, right? So I think that has worked. I think that's been successful. And for me, there, there's so many people out there. Why be selfish? You know, just be good and good will come back to you. And that's always been kind of how we've, we've run the biz. And it it clearly has served you very well. And it's, I feel like through, through all this journey, it's really come full circle because now we're talking about, you've hired all these great people that, that really breathe bigger pockets out of every pore of their body. Right. And they're out there recruiting more and more people building this business over and over. And so it's self-perpetuating to a point where back to the beginning of the conversation, when this horrible thing happened with your daughter, you were able to take a back seat because you knew that bigger pockets, this baby you had built from the very first iota of a thought in the back of your mind because of a need that you needed to solve, you know that it's in good hands and you were able to focus on your family. So it really, it's nice that you built this brand that really focuses on family first and you hired in such a way that enabled you to put your family first. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Let's jump forward a little bit and we get to 2017. You step away from the business for family reasons and then your daughter starts to get better and you chose not to come back. Can you talk us a little bit through what you were thinking there. Like, I, I think some of us expected, okay, your daughter's getting better. He's going to come back to the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's going to start running the company day to day again. But you decided not to do that. So, what was your thought process? What happened in that time? Sure. Um, this is this is that whole Jerry Maguire thing. I'm, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> so, rewind about call it two years from from then. I had talked about the bad hire, the, the mismatch hires, right? I mean, again, not bad people, good people, just mismatch. It created a lot of tension at the company. It, was, it, it, was, it wasn't fun working there for me. I, I got to a point where I was questioning myself a lot. Do, do, I, do I, you know, I know I love the company. I love bigger pockets, but do I love my job um, as CEO of a big company? I had talked to a lot of entrepreneurs before, tech guys especially, and gals, and uh, everyone had said, just, just be aware. There's two phases and two types of people out there. There's startup people, and then there's growth people, right? And scale people, really. And you know, I was like, you guys are full of it. You know, I, I, I don't get it. It's the same thing. What's, what's the difference? So I, I loved zero to 
call it eight, 10 people. Like, I mean, I love that phase. It was really fun. It was very exciting. Thereafter, I, I really did start to stop loving that phase of my job. And then scaling and management and dealing with that and management meetings versus like, get your hands dirty and do it, right? That I, I, I did not like as much. Not to say I wasn't good at it. I wasn't great at it. I got better at it. Um, so I started hiring. I hired a coach, worked with a coach. I think he was fantastic, helped me out, learned a lot. We kind of outgrew each other. And then I ended up hiring another coach. And she was fantastic and really helped me think through a lot of things I was dealing with, um, work through my challenges. Ultimately, the, um, I, I, I'd say, I, if I were being honest with myself at the time, and, and I was particularly with the, with the second coach, I think the first day I sat down with her, I, I started crying. I mean, like bawling tears. I, I cry a lot, obviously. With this woman I just met, really. And I was crying because I realized that I was unhappy. And I, I didn't really want to face it. I didn't want to face it for a while. And this was after, you know, we had scaled and all this. And I'm like, well, does this make me a bad person? Because like, I love my company, but I don't like what I'm doing necessarily. Like, well, let's find a way to make you like what you're doing. And so we tried all this stuff and did all these things. And ultimately, like, I liked what I was doing more and more, you know, by this time, you know, I wasn't working a hundred hour weeks. I was, I was working 40, 50 hours a week. Uh, you know, I started to take my Wednesdays out of the office instead of being locked in the office. I was now networking on Wednesdays and using that time to think and, and to plan and strategize. So I was at home and, or, or out. And which by the way, I recommend to everybody, most business owners don't put enough time in to think about the business, like thinking is work. Uh, working is not just doing email and responding and dealing with people. Like sitting down for an hour, two hours, four hours a week, five hours, whatever, like that's actual work. Thinking about what you're going to do is work. So I was, I was doing that. I love that time. I love the, the big picture strategy stuff. But I just was not, I, I wasn't super happy. So all this Trauma happens and, you know, Scott and Brandon were, you know, along with the other managers, Dave and Rob, uh, were running the business and I had to be real with myself. You know, uh, I had been away from the day-to-day for, for a while. I had a lot of time to reevaluate my life. Um, I realized I was, as a human being, I was not happy. And the challenge I faced was I felt like a fraud. I felt like a fraud because my entire existence, my entire job for 14, 13 and a half years up until then was to help other people be successful and find happiness, right? I talked to hundreds of people on the podcast about, you know, if you don't like your job, start figuring out what you're going to do next. And I never had the guts to do that. And so that, that was where I felt like a fraud. I mean, it was really, really, really difficult. And mind you, I'm dealing with some heavy emotional stuff at the time. I mean, crying every single day, miserable, but like finally was, was willing to say, you know, like what, what can be worse than this this I'm going through right now? I mean, like if I'm going to be brave, look at what my kid's doing, man. I mean, like now's the time to be brave. And I was like, 
okay, I don't like what I do. I love my company, but I don't like what I do. That's no, that's a, not. It's a big, I'm sorry. It's a big revelation. And it's also, I think, big to just admit it, to like say it in your out loud voice, right? When you're, oh, like, yeah. you're like, I just don't like this. Yeah. And that's not to say that I, I don't like being CEO. That's not to say I don't like managing people. I think it's a combination of a whole hell of a lot of factors. 14 years is exhausting. I, you know, I think in that 14 years, I probably put, I, I like to say I did 35 and 14. So I probably worked about 35 years in that 14. You know, I, I was... It, it, it was about that time. And so I chatted with Scott and Brandon and some of the, uh, you know, the other folks who I really, really trusted and said, you know, what's next? How do, how do, I, how do I transition? How do I get out of this? What do I need to do? Um, and so we, we went and we hired, hired an investment bank. I interviewed several and hired an investment bank instead of a broker because uh, the business had grown to the size at this point where, you know, you don't just use a, a business broker. I mean, it was a pretty big business. Yeah. Um, so, so just to clarify, a, a broker is somebody that would help you sell the business to somebody else. An investment banker can help you do more complicated scenarios where you don't necessarily sell off the whole business. You can sell part of it and stuff like that, right? Yeah, we could look at we could look at lots of options. There, there's, there's various possibilities on what you can do and you don't necessarily limit those options. You, you kind of present who you are and then you see who's interested and what they potentially might want to offer to you, right? So um, we, we hired a bank. You do what's called a process and, and process is uh, another word for a business uh, proctology exam. It's hell. It's really, really hard. And, and it's particularly hard when you have a 14-year-old business. Um, it's also particularly hard when you're not building a business with the intent of an exit. So if you build a business with the intent of an exit, you're going to do certain things in your administration and your paperwork. You're going to have be organized in certain ways, which by the way, if you've got a business and you're listening or you're thinking of building a business, Every, you you need to be as organized as you can with every ounce of paper forever, if you ever intend to sell, because you will need to find every ounce of paper and everything that you've ever uh, built out, emails, you name that stuff. You need to know everything about every iota of your business. This, This is part of the downside of you never taking investment, outside investment. So you are never accountable to outside investors. Nobody ever asks you to prove the books or right. to validate every, every dotted I or cross T. So this yeah. is the first time in 14 years, basically you're going back and, and you're auditing 14 years of your business for the first time. Well, was, we had done it before that because we, we just, you know, I'm anal retentive. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm Boy Scout and everything was on the up and up, sure. you know, however, it's just like, Hey, you know, a process is literally having your lawyers look at a contract that was written seven, 10 years ago and saying, Hey, is that contract kosher, you know, still. So go through the process, looked at, um, had, had lots of folks interested in, in the business. You do these things called management meetings where, you know, your management team goes and they present and, present and pitch the business to, to folks who are interested in, in the company after going through, you know, I mean, signing non-disclosure. I mean, there's all, it's, it's, it's a big, I mean, you could do shows on, on, on this 
whole thing. But we eventually, as part of the process, we met a group. It was a private equity group who expressed interest. And we really, really liked the team. We liked their philosophy. Uh, we liked who and they for, were. For those that are listening that don't know, what's, what is a private equity group? Private equity group is, it's, it's a business of folks who um, invest in businesses, right? Got their it. job is to invest in businesses and they invest, you know, typically large amounts of money in businesses. And what they, their intent on a PE deal is typically, they want a return on their investment within typically call it five years. So if they invest, you know, X amount of dollars, they want some kind of return and they'll tell you or not tell you what that is, but it's generally several multipliers of what they're investing in a five-year period. So we did what was called a recap. And a recap, for those people who don't understand, it's a recapitalization of the business. And essentially what it means is they'll go and they'll invest some money in the business, acquire a percentage of the company, and the business uh, will continue onward. They don't buy, they did not buy the entire business. I still own a, a uh, significant piece of the business. They came in and they are now my partners. So I'm but they're, on, not a, they're not a real estate company. They're not like looking to define the direction of the business. Your team, uh, the Bigger Pockets team is still kind of driving the business. They're just kind of a, a silent investor who, who's saying, hey, just make sure we get our money back and, and, and we hold you accountable. But they're not making the day-to-day decisions, are they? So I, I, since I am not in the day-to-day, I can't necessarily answer that question. Okay. Um, what I can say is we picked this team because we felt that they were going to be very, very hands-off and they were going to let us run the business the way that we wanted to run the business to be run. You know, the future vision that I had for Bigger Pockets. Uh, concurrent with that, you know, was the decision for me to officially step down as CEO of Bigger Pockets. So uh, Scott, who was president, acting president at the time. He was president at the time, got promoted to CEO. I stepped down and stepped away 100% from the day-to-day of the business. And uh, my role became as guide and advisor to our management team as, you know, call it the godfather, a bigger pocket, so to speak, and, I, and, and as member of the board. So in, in our case, it could be any range, basically, with a PE shop. You may have a PE shop who comes in, they're very aggressive and they want to dictate every detail. And then there's others who say, you know, do whatever the hell you want. In our case, they're, they're pretty hands-off and, and it's great. And, you know, the business is doing fantastic and exceeding expectations and it's very, very exciting. But we closed in uh, November of 2018. So it's been about six months. It's been, you know, get, we're, we're getting there. And that was horrifyingly scary. Uh, very challenging. You know, I mean, as, as much time as I put into my baby, you know, being able to seed control was frightening. But I knew that the people that I had in place as my management team believed in the company in the same way that I believe in the company and treat the business the way that I want it treated. So at the end of the day, um, and, and found a, a PE shop, you know, who we've been very happy with, McCarthy Capital out of Omaha, you know, who I, I believe has the same vision for who we are and what we should be. So I was willing to take a chance because, you know, like we had met other people who didn't necessarily have the same beliefs and, and they did. So 
again, it was very exciting. And, and thus began the next phase of Bigger Pockets, really, which was professionalizing this business, bringing in people who know how to scale a company, who've been there, bring in advisors, and thus begin the next phase of Bigger Pockets. It's, it's, it's very exciting to watch as the company grows. And I'm forever an advocate of this company. I love Bigger Pockets. It's my baby. And I, I want it to be successful, not just because I still am a uh, an owner of the business, but because, I mean, it, there's, there's very few companies on the planet that are like this company. There's very few businesses who, that, changes, that change people's lives legit. And, and this is one of them. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So here we are. I'm just, I'm just sitting here and I'm just so, I'm so grateful you are our first guest because your whole story, your whole journey is so inspiring. I know Bigger Pockets really well. I feel like I know you really well, but to hear it encapsulated like this and to just be taken through your whole entire journey from the very beginning through how you've grown it, how you went through your struggles, how you just kept persisting and how it's on the trajectory it is now to hear it directly from you is so inspiring and just so it's it's amazing. Being on, on this side of the podcast is cool and I really think our listeners are going to be as inspired, if not more. It's just, it's a phenomenal story. Thank you for Thank sharing. Thank you. What, what's, what's cool is, you know, I believe in my heart at some point down the line, you know, this company, I mean, is changing lives yes. and it's, it's just, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Bigger Pockets has achieved this this one metric for success that a lot of times we don't think about. Uh, you went from you ran this company on your own for eight years, then for five years you had a team of between one and forty people, and then for the last six months you had a private equity firm that came in and is kind of managing it as a big business. And yet, from the outside, as a user of Bigger Pockets, all I've seen is continuity. When I came along in 2008 to what I'm seeing here in 2019, it's the same company. It's the same site. It's the same quality. It's the same giving back. And so people don't know that for a long time you were a single person business and now you're a big business. And, and the fact that, that you can transition, you can make those business transition transitions without your customers even realizing it's going on behind the scenes, that's an amazing thing. You've, you've really kept true to your original vision and, and you've been successful with that vision. And thank a, you. A lot of founders can't say that. Well, you know, and it's, I, I, I think one of the things that allows for that is I never, you know, because of the origins of bigger pockets being a place where it wasn't about gurus. It wasn't, you know, for a minute there, there's a, the very beginning personality, like, I mean, I was the face of BP forever, right? You know, we realized that that was a risk. I didn't want to just be the face. You know, I wanted other faces. And then Brandon became the face. And I, we, he and I were concurrent. He's still a face, the yep. face, but you're a face. I mean, we want this business to be personality proof. We want this business to be business, you know, Google proof. We want this business to be, you know, recession proof. We're trying to build a business that has legs. Um, you know, when so, so when all this happened, you know, I, I'm not, it's not about me. I'm not like, Hey, 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 you know, like this is happening. And you know, we, we put out a release and, and let it go. I mean, you know, it, the business doesn't change who we are, doesn't change. You know, we, we are the exact same company. We just have, you know, different ownership, uh, different, same, same management, but different, different ownership and, and pretty damn similar uh, philosophy on where we want it to go. So um, why should anything change? Now, 
that's that's a successful transi- transition, I believe. Versus yes, certainly many is. businesses where you know things get upended, um, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons that can happen. But I'm I'm grateful that in our case, you know, we, we've managed to to really do it pretty seamlessly. So yeah. uh, so what's next for you? Oh man, well you know I'd say the first bunch of months were, were really transition months. You know, working with with the team on, on things. And, um, I've really been able to, I'd say over the last couple to finally maybe take a breath. Um, I, I, I still don't think I'm necessarily there. In fact, we just got back from Hawaii. I went and visited Brandon, which was fun, the whole family. And I think I had the first moment in, I mean, probably decades where I just sat back, took a breath and was like, whoa, like, I, I mean, I, I truly, I, I, I would say maybe even in the last week alone is, I'm not fully there, but I, I'm probably as calm as I've been in probably 20, 30 years. Well, they say you, you should take a week's vacation for every 20, dec- every two decades you work. So it sounds okay. like you're doing Yeah, you're right. on par. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. This is great. Honey, do you have anything else? I just thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being so open. And it's so funny that you recognize that you're more calm than you've been in 20 years because I can feel that from you. You just are. You've just got this air of, I've got this. I'm like sitting back. I'm watching the joy. I'm in, I'm enjoying the hard work that I've put in. And it's, it's kind of me time. You, your energy has changed. Your energy was great before, but You've just got a, a different, more calm and confident energy. It's awesome. Thank you. It's Thank really you. nice. Really well, nice. And, and Jay, you did ask like, you know, kind of what's next. I mean, beyond the just relaxation, have trying to figure out happiness. I think one of the things that I'm, I'm struggling with right now, which I think a lot of people, it's crazy. Since I started really thinking about this, it's, it's game changing. Like, so if, Last year, because of everything, started thinking about happiness. Like, what is happiness? What does it mean to be happy? You know, spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think I'm getting closer to that. But also think about, like, what I like doing. And, and I've been asking my friends, like, hey, what do you like doing? And what's funny is most of them don't remember. Like, I, you forget. Like, you get so caught up in your day-to-day. 30, 40, you got kids, whatever. Like, what, what brings you joy? We, we, we all stop thinking about that. Not everybody, but I think a majority of people stop thinking about it. And so I want to challenge anyone listening, like, like take a few minutes and think about it. And if you don't know the answer, you better figure it out because I'm sitting here sadly, and I'm trying to figure it out. I know skiing brings me joy. I know my kids bring me joy, but like, what do I want to do? I just bought a guitar. I was like, Hey, I've always wanted to play guitar. So I've been teaching myself guitar. That's pretty fun, actually. Great. Uh, You know, I'm looking at potentially uh, launching a podcast of my own at some point. Yeah, you know, we'll see. I'm thinking about it, trying to put it together. Um, I'm I'm looking to uh, potentially advise non real estate startups. I, I think I, you know, can can use a little break from from the space for a while. So look to do some advising of of startup businesses. Um, that's kind of exciting for me. Just the premise of doing that. So I'm just, you know, you and I, Jay, have talked about that. I, I love I love that idea, and I'm also potentially, you know, I'm looking at diving back in because I took a break for so long from real estate itself to focus on bigger pockets. 
that uh, I'm, I'm potentially looking to, to kind of dive back into my own investments. Uh, if, you're, if you're ever looking for some uh, real estate investing resources, I, I can recommend a few. Yeah, I, I, I think we may have an idea where to find some people who just might be more than happy yeah. to help you out. So all kinds of exciting possibilities ahead. It's really oh, yeah. cool. All right, I want to take a quick break from the show for a message from our sponsor, Simply Safe. No matter what kind of property you invest in, there's always a ton that goes into it. You've got months of planning, labor, and a lot of money. And that's why it's important to protect it. You don't want a major copper theft or vandalism to set you back thousands of dollars. That's why we want to let you know about Simply Safe Home Security. Most traditional security companies make it so complicated to protect your home or your property, but not Simply Safe. It's completely wireless. So no drilling holes in all your walls. You can easily move it between properties. It keeps working if the power goes out, if the Wi-Fi goes down, or if a burglar smashes your keypad. And there's no contract. We're not the only ones who think they're your best bet. Simply Safe is the top choice security system of CNET, PCMag, and more than 3 million people too. Just go to simplysafe.com slash pockets to learn more. Order now and get their 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash pockets. So now, Josh, we would like to have you be the answerer of our first edition of what we are calling four more. Okay. And this is our version of the famous four questions. Four more. Every guest every week. Okay. So. Okay. Question number one of the four more. Josh, what was your worst job ever? And what lessons did you take from it? Worst job ever had to be, uh, oh, there's two that come up. So worst job ever was either um, I worked at a bagel shop. I did not last a day. Uh, yeah, I had to go between the freezer and like, you know, the scalding temperatures of, you know, the summer in and out. And like my body wanted to collapse after like an hour. And I was like, I, I, I can't, I can't do this. I'm done. Um, or I, uh, while living in Los Angeles and needing some cash. Oh, this this is going to be good. I was a doorman, scrawny old me, for a Church of Scientology meeting. Um, And there happened to be, uh, I was just helping my buddy out, you know, and that day there was an earthquake. So I'm like, you know, standing at the door, and the first, that was the first earthquake I'd ever felt. At least you're um, in the doorway. The windows, all this, I'm outside of a glass building and things are shaking and like scared the living bejesus out of me. And I like was on the ground and everyone else is looking and laughing at me. And I was like, all right, I'm t- I can't do this. I'm out of here. So how about that? That's an that, awesome that's- answer. So I want to ask, what is the defining moment where you realized you had the entrepreneurial itch? When I actually, I'd say there were two things. I didn't realize it, but like, you know, when I was like 10 years old in my mom's fur shop and I was telling her how to run the business, might've been the first inkling that I was going to be an entrepreneur or just an asshole. But (laughs) (laughs) Option number one. uh, Okay. Um, But, uh, you know, I I would say, I, I really think I realized it at every job that I ever had where I always, I was never happy just doing my job. I always wanted to give input to the people who were bossing me around, my managers, and tell them how they can better improve the things that they were supposed to be doing as well. 
and I realize, oh, I'm going to have a hard time working for somebody for the rest of my life. I probably need to work for myself. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Okay. So this one goes back to my biggest pet peeve. There's a whole lot of bad advice in business. We, we all hear bad advice all the time. What's the worst piece of business advice you've ever either been given or you've heard? And, and how would you correct that if you were to, uh, to give that advice? Oh man, that's a, that's a really long list. I would say it's all about the hustle. It's all about the grind. And, and don't get me wrong. I've, I, I, I believe hustle and grind and working your backside off is necessary. But I also believe that what I did was stupid, right? And so I took the hustle grind mentality to the extreme. Didn't take time off. Didn't you know, think about myself. Didn't take care of myself. And that's, that's a bad thing. So I would say there's balance. And, and you know, part, part of the core values of bigger pockets today are a result of, of that imbalance, you know, putting family, you know, if somebody at, at the company, for example, you know, like the only time you can get things done in a lot of industries is in the middle of the day, like shops close, things close, right? Like you have to get your car fixed, go at 11 o'clock and take care of it. And you'll make it up later. Like a lot of companies, you can't go and get your car fixed until five o'clock. But at five o'clock, you're picking up your kids. You're dealing with dinner. You're dealing with other, like, it, it's unreasonable, at least in my, in my mindset. So anyway, just, I, I, I could, I, I mean, do, we, we can do hours and hours and hours of the bad advice that I got or that I've heard, but that's the quickest one that comes no, that, that's, that's, that's a, a great one. one. Yeah. So I have the fourth question. Oh, I like to spend money. So your last, my question, my last question is, what's something that you've splurged on, but it's been totally, totally worth it? Man, I'm like the anti-splurge. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't like to spend money on myself. I don't mind spending money on my family, other people. I really don't like to spend money on myself. So I would say, you know, let's say my Jeep. I got a Jeep. Uh, bought a Jeep, uh, you know, a- after, after everything, uh, went down, I didn't have a car cause the company car was my car. I needed a vehicle. Uh, I got this bright orange, um, Sweet. Jeep. I've been driving the last couple of days until today with our uh, pending blizzard, uh, with the top down. It's been a blast. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And that was the four more. And so now I'm going to ask you four more. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, find me on Twitter at JR Dorkin. That's probably the best place. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'm not on LinkedIn anymore. I'm, I may not be on Facebook anymore. We'll see. I'm on there, but barely hanging on. So Twitter is probably the spot, but, uh, yeah. Do you, wanna, do you want to give a shout out to your book by any chance? Why? Well, can I, can I give a shout out to my company? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have we heard okay. of it? So, um, I've got this company that uh, I own a piece of. It's called Bigger Pockets. It is the greatest place. It, it's it's amazing. So, really quick, for those of you guys who are listening who don't know what Bigger Pockets is, beyond it's it's a community. It's resources. We've got several podcasts, including this one. We've got a publishing business. If you want to change your life, if you want to better your financial well being not just necessarily through real estate, just in general, check out Bigger Pockets, listen to the money show, check the show out. Yeah. The, uh, the Bigger Pockets real estate podcast, check out some of our, I don't know what we're at, 16, 17 books um, on topics from money to real estate. 
and uh, it it will it will definitely change your life and get involved, you know, because there's amazing people like Jay and Carol and all the various people who give of themselves to try and give back and, and help other people be successful. Um, okay. And now hold up your most recent book. Thank you. And this there it is. How to Invest in Real Estate, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Getting Started, written by myself and Brandon Turner, uh, is, is pretty much like the first book. If you want to buy a book on real estate, this is the first one to pick up. Um, if you want a book on estimating rehab costs, you, you buy Jay's book. If you want a book on flipping houses, you buy Jay's book. If you want, I mean, we got rental property. We got books on every topic in real estate. Check out biggerpockets.com slash store if you want to check that out. Otherwise, you guys, I'm so excited for you. This is going to be a lot of fun. You guys are amazing. And this was uh, a great experience. You are amazing. Thank you so much, Josh. Your story is just, it's beyond phenomenal. And I've enjoyed every last second. Thank you so much. Thank Josh, you guys. This was fantastic. We are so glad that your daughter is on yes. the road to recovery and that you have found new purpose since then. And uh, we wish you good luck with everything you do in the future. I hope you'll come back on show 500 and give us a recap. Oh man, when, when I'm even grayer than I am today, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Thank Josh. Thanks so much, Josh. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a great episode. I think a lot of us are familiar with Bigger Pockets as a real estate investing website, but I think very few of us think about what went into building a company like Bigger Pockets. And it's amazing thinking back, Josh started this company 15 years ago. It took him years, nearly a decade to start getting traction. And just to see what he's built in the last few years or how he's scaled in the last few years is just amazing. How did you think about this episode, Carol? I thought it was just awesome. And I especially thought it was so powerful how he really broke it down to a very personal level and shared so much with us and, and talked about the things that he had to do and taking a step back, realizing he wasn't happy, admitting those things that are really hard to admit and just in, in finding a way to move forward and grow the business to what it is today. Just really powerful all around. Absolutely. I, I don't think I was expecting the the personal story in there. And I think that was uh, pretty touching and great to hear that everything is going well for, for Josh and his family. Okay, guys. Well, that wraps up this episode. But before you go, we want you to be a guest on this show. And if you want to be a guest on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, here's what you're going to need to do. I want you to go to biggerpockets.com slash bizguest. That's biggerpockets.com slash B-I-Z-G-U-E-S-T, B-I-Z guest, biggerpockets.com slash bizguest, and fill out the form there. Okay, everybody, remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Got it? Subscribe right now. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are Carol and Jay. Now go share some of your expertise today. Mm -hmm.